You're listening to podcast audio from Radiant Church, located in Bay City, Michigan. For more information on Radiant Church, you can check us out on www.radiantbc.com or follow us on social media at Radiant Bay City. So good to see all of you here this morning. Hopefully you're having a wonderful weekend. If you're watching online, thank you so much. Leave a comment. Help uh, spread this video to your newsfeed. It helps us get the word out. And if it's your first time here, my name is Marco, and I am the lead pastor of Radiant Church. Um, one quick thing. Victoria mentioned we don't have a worship night officially this month, but I want to fill you in on something that she's going to announce next week. Next Sunday evening at 7 o'clock, our friends at Hopevale will be having a worship night at Winona Park at 7 p.m., and um, I'm good friends with Pastor Nate Murray, and he's invited me to pray for Bay City that evening, so I'll be on stage with him, and it's going to be an amazing night. Hopefully the weather will be good. So I want to just invite you all to that. If you don't have any plans next Sunday night, we'll be at Winona Park at 7 p.m. for their worship night. We'll be there. Radiant Church, hopefully we'll be there as well, and it'll be an amazing night. Well, listen, we are in a series. We're in part 10, if you can believe it, of a series called Christ culture and church and we're walking through the letter of first corinthians it's found in the new testament it's written by a man named paul and this church had a lot of problems because so much of the culture just had infiltrated uh the church and so paul has to write a letter to these christians to bring clarification like what is the gospel he also needs to tell them uh, some correction because there's some abuses in the church there's some messy things happening and so Paul needs to bring correction to so many issues if you were with us last weekend it was very special we talked about the gifts of the spirit those found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 there are nine gifts listed there we talked about six of them um, and some of these are kind of the more controversial gifts, and we're going to wrap that up next weekend. We'll talk about prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, because those show up in chapter 14, so you don't want to miss that. Super important. And then at the end of each service last weekend, if you would remember, we prayed for the sick. We prayed for a lot of people as well in both services, you might remember. So I told the, the church, if there's a praise report, Please let me know. We want to celebrate that. Paul talks about gifts of healings. It's plural. Gifts of healings. That means no one owns the gift of healing. It shows up uh, whenever the sovereign God wants to manifest himself in that way. So we, we just took God at his word and we had people stand up all across the room. We were praying for people, both services. So a woman comes up to me um, at the end of first service today. Her name was Julie, and she tells me this. She's in tears. She says, I had, I've, ha I've been having back pain for the last, like, I think 10 years, she told me. She said, it got, it's, it's gotten so bad that I can't even lay down, that it even hurts when I lay down. She said, someone prayed for me last week. She says, and my, my back pain has decreased greatly. She said, I can lay down now. I can rest. She says, I have a little bit of pain still, but it's nothing to what it was before. And so I prayed for her again. I'm like, Lord, begin the good work that you started in this sister, that you would complete the healing. And she was just overjoyed, you guys. So God is up to great things here. And we just want to praise him for 
what he's doing in this sister's life. And again, if you have a praise report that you want to share from last weekend, because we prayed for so many of you, listen, um, please let me know. Let one of our leaders know here so we can what? So we can celebrate, so we can rejoice in what God is doing. And when we hear things like this, what does it do? It builds our faith. We're like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. What if I can pray for this for my family? Or I can, I can ask God to do this. And man, it just builds our faith. And that's exactly what the gifts of the Spirit are meant to do. They're meant for the common good of the church. Now, today, Paul's going to talk about love. And we're going to talk about this gift that often goes unnoticed, right? The gift of love. It's so significant. Paul dedicates 13 verses to the gift of of love. We're going to unpack that this morning. And before we do that, what I want to do is I want to just start at the end of chapter 12, because this kind of builds right into it. At the end of chapter 12, the last verse is verse 31. So if you have a Bible, we'll just dive right in today. I'll pray in a few more moments. But let's look at 1231. I want to read what Paul writes. He says this. He says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. This is interesting. He says the greater gifts. Now, if you know this section of Scripture, in chapter 14, Paul says, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts. Now, he says the greater gifts here. Eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Leave that verse up there for a few more moments. What does Paul mean when he says greater gifts? I think a better translation is found in the ESV. Paul says the higher gifts. What do the higher gifts mean? When Paul says the greater gifts or the higher gifts, what he means is this. He means seek the gifts, those that do more to build up the church. And then he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. What does he mean by that? He's mean, he means this. He means that the more excellent way is that in all your gifts, whatever spiritual gift that you practice, do so in love. That's the more excellent way to practice our gifts in and through love. And so we're going to move on to chapter 13 now. Many of you know chapter 13 as the love chapter. Now, where have you heard these verses read before? Anybody? At weddings. That's right. Weddings, right? If you've heard a wedding that I officiated, I read them, right? Because it's like, this is the definition of love. They're so profound. They're so gooey. They make us feel so good on the inside, right? They remind us of what love is. But listen, many times when we read these verses at a wedding, they're pulled from their literary context. Now, certainly there, are, there is a standalone quality to these verses, 100%. But today, we want to learn what these verses mean in their original context. And what original context is that? The use, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? The way that the Spirit manifests himself in our lives when we partake in ministry, okay? So we're going to look at that uh, right now. I want you to go to chapter 13. We'll read just three verses, and then we'll pray and get into the rest of our message, okay? Verse number one, he says this. Paul writes, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and, I, and if I have faith that can move the mountains, Jesus talks about this kind of faith, by the way, but do not have love. He says, I'm nothing. I am nothing. 
If I give all I possess to the poor, which is great, which is we want to do that, right? And I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. So let me just kind of show you all my cards before we move on today. Uh, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to cover three aspects of what love is. Number one, we're going to talk about the necessity of love. The necessity of love, especially, of course, the context when it pertains to the gifts of the Spirit of God, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about the character of love. Paul actually describes what the character of love is. And then finally, Paul writes about the permanence of love. Love is here to stay, Paul says, the permanence of love. We'll unpack these three things. Well, why are they so important to our lives, the spiritual gifts, and all of that? Let's just first take a moment to pray, and then we'll get into the rest of our message. Let's pray, church. Father in heaven, we love you, and I am reminded of your words that we just sang a few moments ago. You are worthy of it all, God. For from you are all things, God. You are worthy, Lord. And so, God, just today, our heart's posture as we begin this morning is just one of worship, God. Just one of gratitude, Lord. Before we ask you of stuff, Lord, uh, we just want to say thank you. We want to say you are good, and you're a good father to your kids, Lord. And we just just love you, God. And we ask you to do, by the power of your spirit, the things that we can't do on our own, God. Would you open up blind eyes, um, This morning, God, would you soften some of our hardened hearts? And maybe some of us are cynical this morning because of church and religious institutions, Lord. Just soften our hearts. Um, God, would you um, unlock deaf ears so we can hear the gospel, Lord? For we know that Paul says that no one can say Jesus is Lord but by the Holy Spirit. And so we need your spirit, God, to awaken faith in this place, to draw us near into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is our prayer, God. And then finally, Lord, we pray um, primary, what's primary, that that, that Jesus would be magnified and glorified this morning. God, I pray that my words would edify the church, Lord, and would just be pleasing to you. We thank you for the work, Lord, and just we, we anticipate your spirit moving powerfully this morning. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of the most iconic and memorable moments on the widely popular television show, Saturday Night Live, was a skit entitled, More Cowbell. Some of you might remember this skit. Maybe you haven't. You can YouTube it later, all right? This skit, More Cowbell, debuted on SNL on April of 2000. And it it features, uh, it's the band, the Blue Oyster Cult, and they're, of course, played by these actors on SNL. And they they walk into the studio, and they're going to record a song, and they're met by famous music producer uh, Bruce Dickinson. And so uh, they begin to, to, to play a song, and then Will Ferrell, who is the fictional cowbell player, begins to play the cowbell somewhat obnoxiously, if you've ever seen the skit, right? About 30 seconds goes into it, and they're just like, we can't do this, cut, 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 cut. Bruce Dickinson walks in, who's played by Christopher Walken. He's like, what's going on, fellas? What's going on? Hey, this was going to be a great track. And then he says, you know what? I could use some more cowbell. Now... To Will Ferrell, he is happy to oblige. 
So he takes that cowboy and he's just working that thing and dancing around the studio. And he just looks silly because he's got this tight shirt, his belly's hanging out, right? And then again, 30 seconds more goes by and the band's like, we can't do it, we can't do this, we can't do this. And you get the point of the entire skit. Now the reason, one of the reasons the skit is so hilarious is that all of us know it's clear that the cowbell was not meant to be a lead instrument, right? If you're a sound engineer, you, you don't mix the cowbell right to the front of the house, and it's the loudest instrument, right? You don't do that. That's just silly. It's obnoxious. It's, it's annoying, quite, quite frankly. Another reason why it's so hilarious to skit, of course, is, again, Will Ferrell looks like a goon dancing around playing the cowbell. So it's just worth that even, even if you check it out today, right? The cowbell, listen, we know this. It makes for a great background instrument, but when it becomes the centerpiece, something's off, right? Again, it's, it's a nuisance. And, and Paul wants us, I say this because Paul writes to the Corinthians, and he says that he can speak in heavenly languages, right? But if he doesn't have love, he's, he's a resounding gong, or he's this, this clanging cymbal, right? I love a good cymbal swell. I love a good cymbal crash at the end of a fill. But can you just imagine with me for a moment? Imagine if Troy or or James, or Ian, or one of, one of our drummers decided, listen, that they were just going to play the cymbals the entire song list. And that's it, right? Number one, that would trigger Pastor Jacob, number, for sure. Okay, <laughs> for sure. Number two, I mean, it'd, be, it'd just be annoying to the band. And number three, it'd be a distraction to all of us. We'd be trying to worship, just shh, shh, like, what is going on? Like, what's this problem? What's the deal, Right. And this is kind of the point that Paul is trying to make, that he says, listen, I, I, can, I can have these gifts, okay, but if I don't have love, I'm, I'm just like this symbol. I'm loud, I'm obnoxious, I'm, I'm a nuisance to everybody, I'm just not useful. If he doesn't have love, Paul continues, he says, I could prophesy. Prophecy's good, you're going to see that next week. Prop Paul says you should desire to prophesy. All of us should Every single believer should. It's a commandment in Scripture. It's not a suggestion. It's not up for negotiation. We should pray for prophecy. Paul says, I can understand mysteries. I can have great faith. Jesus said, if you have faith and you, you speak to the mountain, you say, mountain be removed, the mountain will be removed. It's this, this gift, this impartation of faith. Paul says, I can do all those things, but if I don't love anyone, I serve no purpose. I can give stuff away to the poor. I can give my life away which is great. But listen, if I don't love anyone, if I don't love people, there's nothing to be gained by it, right? I think that Paul would make this point to all of us this morning from chapter 13, and it's this, that you can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons, right? You can do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. Reasons And when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I want to just remind you, church, motives matter. Motives matter. And so here's the question I think that we should ask ourselves when we operate in these gifts, because they should be operated in the local church and our small groups, really. The question is this, do we desire these gifts so that we can be seen, or do we desire them so that others might be served? 
Which is it? Do we desire the gifts because we want to be seen? We want to be, you know, feel like we're something. We want to feel like we're, you know, ooh, look at her. Ooh, look at him. He prophesies. Ooh, look at him. He's got a word of knowledge. Ooh, he speaks in tongues. Wow, right? We want to be the centerpiece? Or are we seeking these gifts? Because, listen, uh, we want to serve other people. We want to serve the body of Christ. And Paul says, listen, if they don't function in love, they just cease to be effective. They cease to be useful to the church. This is why I believe this. I believe that we should emphasize character over, give, over gifting in the church. Let me say that again. We should emphasize character over gifting in the local church. Here's why. Here's why. We should emphasize character over gifting because your gift, listen, has the potential to take you places where your character cannot sustain you. And so often, if we make this mistake, if we make the mistake, listen, ah, we want to, whether it's more of a natural gift like a musician or a vocalist or a singer or, or whatever it is or gifts of the Spirit, okay, if we emphasize the gift over the character, here's what often happens. What often happens is that we put the wrong people in leadership. And what this does is this damages the body of Christ. And not only that, it has the potential to harm the, the person who's received that gift. Right? It harms the person. Wow, how does it harm them? Well, they, be, they, they begin to think, well, I guess I'm, I'm pretty special. Like, I'm, I'm kind of better than her, and I'm better than him, and I'm, I'm a little more spiritual, and I have a lot more talent. And, and no, 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 listen, listen, we're, we're, we want the gifts here, and the church should operate in all kinds of gifts, Okay. However, your character has to be developed before you can just operate in that gift. We need to know who you are. Your character, listen, must be in a place that can sustain what your gift has to offer. And so sometimes for musicians, listen, we, we, we put the stop sign up. We're we like, hey, 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 wait, wait. I know you're anxious, but the stage is, is, is like it's a, it's, a, it's a dicey area. It'll, it'll, it'll ruin you if you're not careful. It'll ruin you. It'll... It'll corrupt your character. Like, if your character's not fully intact, it'll make you believe that you're something special when you're just another servant in the house of God. And so I think we should emphasize the, the character over the gifting. So what's Paul's big point here in the text? I, I think it's this. Seek the greater gifts. And, of course, seek spiritual gifts. Absolutely. But not apart from love. Not apart from love. Because why? Because if you, if you don't have love, well, it's just, you're just ineffective. You're, you're a clashing symbol. Like nobody wants you around. Like you're, you're kind of, you're getting on my nerves. Why? Because you're so puffed up with pride and you're like, oh, I can do this and I'm awesome and I'm super spiritual. It's like, yeah, nobody cares. That's the thing. But we do care about if you, if you love us, if you love me, Right? We care about that because the point of ministry is always to love people. The point of ministry is to always love people. I think if we wanted to put these verses in a present-day context, we might say it like this. If I preach with the power of Charles Spurgeon, but I don't have love, well, who cares? Why does it matter? If I write a best-selling book and it, it, it sells millions of copies and it helps Christians all over the world, but I don't really love anybody... Well, you, you, you kind of missed the mark there, right? 
Like, what's, what's the big deal about that? If I write a, a worship song and thousands of churches sing it all over the world and my, my face is plastered all over social media, but I don't actually love anyone, then, then, then we've missed the point. Paul says, you're just a you're, you're clanging symbol and you're really more of a nuisance than anything. If you, if you want to be effective in the local church, Paul says, you've you got to love the church. Well, who's the church? The people in the church. Well, that's, that's hard because I don't like them all. Well, okay, join the club. Okay, come on, let's be real. You're laughing because it's true, okay? Because Pastor Mark was preaching truth right now. But this is the point, Paul says, you got you to love people. If you don't love people, then well, it doesn't matter what kind of gift you get. If you're prophesying, if you've got you know, a word of knowledge, if, if you're revealing secrets, if, you know, all kinds of things. Paul's like, you know, ah, yeah, it's, it's, you just miss the point, okay? We've talked about this, the necessity of love, when it, especially when it comes to practicing the spiritual gifts. I, I want to move us forward into the rest of the verses in chapter 13, because here Paul is going to describe the character of love. And what I want you to see is this. I want you to see that Paul describes the character of love based on what it does and what it doesn't do, okay? This is really important. This is really important because our culture is so about feelings. So everything's feelings. Feelings, 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 right? Paul doesn't talk about feelings, though, in this context of Scripture. He just talks about what love does. Now, are feelings important? They are. Okay, 100%. But it's the culture that was just, I mean, our culture right now is just enwrapped and just we make much of feelings, okay? But notice what Paul says, what, what he writes. Verse number four, he says this, love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. This is the words that we hear in our marriage ceremonies, right? It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Not a lie, but the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Here's the interesting thing about these verses. These verses are powerful, of course. But, um, okay, so Paul knew love. He knew love so well. Listen, the reason he knew love so well was because he had an encounter with Jesus himself. Like, Paul knew the love of God. Ephesians chapter 3, what does Paul write? Paul writes to the, the church in Ephesus, I pray that you might know the love of God in Christ, how wide, how far, how deep, right? How great is this love? That's Paul's prayer. He knows the love of God. But the interesting thing about these verses is the name God and the name Jesus don't show up anywhere in these verses, okay? But we can actually safely assume that these verses not just speak away, speak about just love in itself. They speak about the way God loves us. They speak about the character of God. And of course, the implications are further, they reach down into our everyday lives because this is the way that we're called to love other people. And this is why it becomes so challenging. If you've been married longer than five minutes, you know this, right? You understand this. Love is patient. What? Oh, man, right? So let's look at these verses. Paul begins with two positives. What love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
And if we're talking about the character of God, let's do that. Let's make him the, emph- the, the emphasis right now. I'm thinking of Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, Peter writes about that God is what? He's patient with us, not wanting anyone to perish, right? Peter talks about this context that there are mockers. They're, they're mocking the second return of Jesus. Like, hey, when is your Jesus coming back? When is, he, there's no, he's not coming back. And, and, and Peter says, no, 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 listen, he's patient, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He doesn't want anyone to, to, to be in hell, to be separated from our heavenly Father. So he's patient in his return. It's amazing. He's kind. I think of Romans 2, verse 4. Paul says that it's the kindness of God that leads us to what? Repentance. Repentance. This is another incredible verse. It's God is kind. God is patient. He's so kind. He's so patient. He's even patient to those who, guess what? Who deserve the wrath of God right now. They deserve judgment right now. And God is patient with them. And we're just like, what? Like, I can't, I can't even fathom that. How could you be so kind, God? How could you be so patient with us? Like, are you serious? Like, this God deserves to be struck by lightning right now. And God is patient even with people who are evil, who've turned their backs on God. My son Ezra is only six, and he's uh, extremely talented in the fact that he's able to make this high-pitched shrieking sound. (laughs) I don't know how often his mother and I have said, Ezra, don't make that sound. Don't shriek. How many times, right, have I said, right, Ezra, how often does your father have to tell you, don't do that? And can I just be honest with you for a moment? I just lose my patience. I'm just like, like, stop, okay? I'm going to strangle you, right, stop. And, and, And I lose my patience. And I just wonder how often does God do that with us? Right? Is God, the scripture tells us he's patient. Check this out. He's so patient, even with us in the room. Listen, those watching online, he's even patient with you. When you, you, you run back to that, you circle back to that same insecurity. You circle back to that same failing or shortcoming. You just go right back to it. You, you circle back to anxiety. Listen, and, and I know, listen, you know all the right verses to believe. You know all the right things to believe. And you still find yourself circling back to being anxious. And what does God do? God is patient with you. God doesn't say, oh, well, okay, well, I'm done with you. Just wipes his hands clean of us and says, okay. Have it your way. I'm done. God doesn't do that with us. Like he's, he's still patient. He's still kind. He still wants us to draw near. And what does God do? God just keeps drawing us near. I'm anxious, God. I'm insecure. And he's just like, God's like, just come here already. Just come here and know the love of the Father. God. We find ourselves in this, this tiffy and we're, we're worried about the same things over and over and over again. And what we need more than anything is the love of the Father. What we need more is to know the love of God in Jesus Christ. It melts away all of our insecurities, all of our, all of our worries and anxieties. Right? And God's patient. He just draws us to him just over and over and over and over and over again. And I think, man, I think to myself, 
How much more has God called me to be patient with my kids? Why does that matter? It matters because I'm the picture of God that exists in the house. That's why it matters. What they learn from their daddy, they're going to take with their relationship with God later in life. So fathers, listen, I, I know it's hard, and I'm not here to judge you by any means. But God is patient with us, and he's called us to be patient with those whom we love as well. He's patient, he's kind, even to those who don't deserve it, those who are perishing. Paul then tells us how love does not behave. He says love does not envy. This is important. Envy is this. Envy is feeling discontent with our situation and then resenting another who has what we want. How often does envy get in the body of Christ? Oh, man, as a pastor, too often. Let me ask you a, a question, church. This is, this is going to hit you right where it counts. Can you celebrate other people's successes and victories? If you can't, I, it's a good indication that you might have a problem with envy. Have you heard the expression green with envy? It's like you're just consumed with this desire, resentment for other people. You want what they want. You're like, why do they get that? How come they, they don't deserve that? They're going on another vacation. Matt's being nice, right? And it's like, hey, if you can't celebrate, listen, it may, be, it may be an indication there's some envy going on and the Holy Spirit has to deal. Paul says, that's not love, right? Love doesn't do that. Love does not envy. And it's like, ooh, okay. Like, you're going to have to help me, Lord, right? He says this love doesn't boast, Boasting describes self-centered actions that draw attention to oneself. Gordon Fee, uh, world-famous sort of charismatic theologian, Gordon Fee says that he believes that you cannot love and boast at the same time. I'm like, why is that? I don't understand that. As I thought about that, I was like, okay, wait a second. Boasting is self-centered, but loving people in the Bible is other-centered. You can't do both at the same time. So love doesn't boast. Then he... He continues, Paul writes, right, very similar, love is not proud. It literally means puffed up. A writer and theologian, Jack Deere, who's um, surprised by the Holy Spirit, if you've never read that, wow, classic, classic uh, book, incredible book. I'm reading actually the, 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 um, the rewrite. It's entitled, Why I'm Still Surprised by the Power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, excellent book when it comes to gifts of the Spirit. This guy is brilliant, PhD, like comes from this cessationist background and then experiences the power of God and makes this change both philosophically, experiential, right, theologically. He writes about it with these stories. Absolutely incredible. But Jack Deere, he says this. He says, the only sin that hides better than unforgiveness is pride. These two sins lie in the rocky depths of our deceitful hearts and usually can be detected only in the light of God's supernatural revelation. The idea of unforgiveness and pride, listen, is that they hide very well. They're like your kids when you're about to leave the park, right? <laughs> Where are they? I don't know. It's like, check, did you check that bush? Did you check that tree? It's behind the slide. I don't know. It's like... They're incredible at hiding. Unforgiveness and pride work the same way, don't they? You know that saying, like, you're always the last person to see pride. If it's in you, everybody around you usually sees it, and you're like, oh, 
Oh, maybe I do. Oh, really you think, right? <laughs> Love does not dishonor others. A better translation in the ESV is actually this. It's a bit more closer to what it means Paul says that love is not rude. I think it's kind of interesting, huh? Love is not rude. The idea is that Christian love, it cares too much to, to act shamefully and disgracefully to others. Right? Love is kind, Paul. already said this. It's not rude. Love is not self-seeking. Self-seeking, which, by the way, this is really the fullest expression of what Christian love is all about. It's others-focused. Christian love is others-focused, right? Christian love does not believe that finding yourself is the highest good. That's not, I mean, I know that's what the culture talks about. You've got to find yourself. You've got to find who you are. But that's not Christian love. Christian love does not put any weight on self-gain or even self-worth, actually, which is very interesting. Why? Because self is just not part of the equation. It's others-focused. It's others-focused. What about this? Love is not easily angered. Woo! This will preach. Are you easily angered? Well, it depends. When, right? What time is it? What are my kids up to? <laughs> Certainly, anger is a real emotion that we all experience. And I want to just say this. Anger can be good when it comes to protecting those you love, okay? Anger can be useful in those scenarios and situations. But the idea is that, is that when, when anger is out of control, it's like that fire that just, you know, rips through a forest and everything is just brought to the ground. I mean, it just causes chaos and damage and it hurts people's lives and it just does so much, uh, so much wrong in your life or a person's life. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says that we should be what? Quick to listen. He says this, slow to speak and slow to become angry. Slow to become angry. Some of us in the room, you're quick to become angry, right? The Bible says slow to anger. And then the next verse, I think he says, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness that God desires. That's why. <laughs> it's like, oh, shoot, right? Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, I think it is, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Why does he say that? Because when, when you're angry, the temptation to sin is great. It's very likely that you will sin when you're angry. So Paul says, in your sin, do not, uh, <clears throat> in your anger, I'm sorry, do not sin. He even writes that, hey, don't let the sun go down on your wrath, which is, wow, that's a challenge, isn't it? It's a real challenge. But again, I want to pull us back to the love of God. Our God is slow to anger. In fact, our God gives Second chances, we know this. Third chances, even a thousand, thousands chances, okay? There's an expression that's used in the Old Testament. And actually, if you just do a search, like on a Bible you know, program, like BibleGateway.com, you can probably find it there even. There's an expression used to describe the character of God, and it shows up, actually, several times in the Old Testament. Now, listen, that's not an accident. That's on purpose. Why? Because... The writers of Scripture, God himself wants us to know his character. And it shows up here in Psalm 103, verse 8. The Lord is compassionate and gracious. What does he say? Slow to anger, abounding in love, right? So even our God is slow to anger. He's abounding in love. 
He's not just, well, well, Pastor Marco, I've read the verses in the Old Testament. You know, what about genocide and what about you know, how he, he takes out the Canaanites? Yeah, I know. I, I'm not going to try to explain those away. But can I just tell you that those things happen after years and years and years and years and years of God waiting for them to repent. Finally, God executes judgment, meets out justice. I'm not going to explain them away. God is fully capable and it's fine for him to do that. He's God. He knows right and wrong better than any of us, okay? But the idea is that they come after he's been patient for so long. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Have you ever been in a verbal dispute with someone? A friend, spouse, co-worker. I think that the biggest temptation in an argument is to bring up the past and how or what that person has previously done to offend or hurt you. That's the biggest temptation. That is the biggest temptation. Let me just say this. If you want a relationship at home full of strife, full of tension, full of just conflict, just keep bringing up the past. If you want a home where there's never any peace, just Keep bringing up the past. Well, last week, you left your socks there. Oh, well, I did. Well, last night, your underwear were hanging on the chair. Well, a month ago, you said this. Well, you know what? And you know what? You know what? The ammunition never runs out. The bullets to that gun are endless. You want a marriage where there's strife, there's anger, there's fury, there's never any peace, hostility, you just keep bringing up the past. But if you want a marriage, if you want a relationship, listen, that leads to peace, pursue forgiveness. Pursue forgiveness. It's the only way it'll ever happen. Our God doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Psalm 103 says this again. You can look it up yourself. He says this, that he's removed our transgression as far as the east is from the west. God's not even keeping track of your past sins. You are, and I do, and the devil is great at condemning us, but God's not. And some of you need to hear that this morning because you're, you're trapped in condemnation. You're trapped by the inner voicings of the evil one. And he's bringing up stuff from last month and, and, and five years ago. He's, he's bringing up, you know, the alcohol addiction. He's, he's bringing up, you know, the porn that you used to indulge in. He's, he's bringing up your anger problem from five years ago. He's bringing up whatever it is, right? He, and God's not keeping track of those things just so you know, though. That's the evil one. So let's get it right, right? So what we need the truth of God to begin to what? To replace every lie of the enemy. But God's not keeping a track record, right? How do we forgive then? If we, if we want to seek forgiveness, I taught on this on Tuesday. I don't have time to unpack that whole teaching, of course, because it was an hour long. But let me just say this. The way that you can at least begin the process of forgiveness is by remembering the mercy of God on you. Okay? Remember, remember, listen, that you have not loved the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, strength, and soul. You have not, and yet he's been kind to you. Yet he's been good to you. Yet he sent his one and only son to die in your place. He lived the life that you couldn't live, which is a life without sin, but he also took the death that you and I deserved, punishment on the cross. And when you remember, when you begin to just think about the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, here's what it should be. 
do. In fact, Jesus speaks about this. Here's what it should do. It should at least begin to melt your heart and begin. I'm not saying it's instantaneous. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying you're even going to feel it. Not at all. Most Actually, never do you feel like forgiving anyone. Forgiveness is not natural to any of us. Can I just say that? Forgiveness is not natural to any of us. Okay? But when you remember the mercy of God, here's what happens. It begins to melt your heart so that you can, what, extend forgiveness to someone else. Because you remember, this is how much I've been forgiven of. The Lord has been so good to me. Finally, let me just wrap up with verses 6 and 7. He says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I think this is so important for the day and age that we live in. Love is not delighting in lies, okay? So like the lies and ideologies that are just lies. Love is not celebrating that, okay? This is why we can't always celebrate what the world celebrates, okay? That's actually not love. Love is rejoicing in the truth, okay? Biblical love rejoices in what is true. Finally, let me just get to the permanence of love. Verse number 8. Verse number 8. Paul's going to talk about the permanence of love. He says, love never fails. Love, or but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Now go to verse number 13. We'll skip ahead. It says this, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Right? So, so Paul's just making this point. Hey, and love's not going anywhere. This is why he spends 13 verses on this. Love is, is now, but then we, we carry love into eternity. And when the perfect comes, which is Jesus, when he returns, we won't need prophecies. We won't need words of knowledge. We'll, we'll have the perfect one in our presence. And we won't need those gifts, but we will need love. And we will have love. And we will love. And we will adore Jesus. And we will worship around his throne. Right? Love is carried into eternity. That's what Paul writes. I want to say one more thing here about love that I think is so important, again, for, for where we're at, just culturally, the cultural winds that are blowing right now in our day and age, and it's this. God's love always leads us to repentance. God's love always leads us to repentance. And when it comes to defining love, this is very, very crucial because uh, so many in our world would say, well, 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 love is equivalent to tolerance. And sure, that, that plays a part, and I, I understand that. But God's love actually leads us not to just accept all behavior, but it leads us to change behavior. It leads us to a place of repentance. Right? It leads us to a place of repentance. And, and the beautiful thing about this, you guys, the beautiful thing about this is that I want to just make this clear that God loves you right now where you're at. He loves you so much. No matter what you did last night, no matter what you did yesterday, no matter the voices, because I know some of you, you've walked in with voices, like the condemning one, and you, 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 you are your worst enemy because you keep beating yourself up. And I know this because I've, I've talked to some of you. But God loves you right now, right where you're at, like right in the heap the trash bin of your sin, even. 
God loves you right now. Um, for, for some of you, it's, it's the messes that you've made of yourself, the messes that you made yourself. God's love meets you in this place. He's, he's meeting with you today, perhaps for the first time. I don't know. But God's lo- God loves you. Yes. And amen. I, I want to just say that. I want to just champion that. God loves you. Absolutely. He does. Right where you're at. Right in the, the chaos of your life. Right in the poor decisions that you've made. Right in, the, right in the manure pile that you've just decided to sit in. He loves you. But, but let me add this. God's love is so powerful. It's so powerful that it's transformative. God's love is so good, listen, that he, it changes us. It changes who we are from the inside out. It changes our behaviors. It changes our thought patterns, right? It changes who we used to be to, to now who we're becoming, this child of God with our identity in Jesus Christ. That's how good God's love is for each and every one of us. Listen, he loves us so much to love us where we're at, but he won't leave us where we're at. God looks at, us, looks at us and says, listen, in order for me to get you to A to B, here's what I got to do. I got to remove some things from your life. I got to remove some thought patterns. I got to remove some sin. I got to make you more like Jesus. And that's actually to your benefit that you turn away from those things that you previously were a part of and that you turn to God's love. That's the beautiful thing about who God is. He loves us where we're at. But he also transforms us. It changes us. And that when you encounter God's love in that way, it's going to change you. You can't help but to be changed by the love of God in Jesus Christ. So today, God's, God's word has told us, Paul has written about the necessity of love, that we need, we need love. We need the gifts of the Spirit to function in love. Without it, we're just we're, we're making noise. Nobody cares. Paul has written about the character of love. That the character of love actually looks a lot like what? <laughs> the character of God. Because God is love. And we get an accurate picture of who God is. That God is also patient with us. That God is kind. That God doesn't keep a, a, a record of wrongdoings. That God does not envy. God does not boast. And therefore, listen, this is the same kind of love that we are required to love in. Right? And then Paul writes about the permanency of love. That love is not just for today. It's going to last into eternity so it's a, a, like we got to get this right. we got to wrestle with this right now because love goes into forever. Go, love goes into forever. Paul writes, these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. I want to get ready. I'm going to close here in just a moment. But as I was um, just kind of preparing for this message this week, uh, actually even just yesterday, just kind of had a moment with God and I was like, Lord, Lord, what can I say? Um, what can I say that will just kind of get to the heart of the matter that will maybe just be of use to someone, to that one person, to that maybe two people? I don't know. What is it, God, that you want me to convey? What, what is it that I can just kind of end with that will maybe just lead someone closer to God? And I just felt like the Holy Spirit told me that I want you to pray for those who feel like God's given up on them. So that's what I want to do. I want to pray for you today. If you feel that way, if you feel like, man, my, my, my sin is too great, my transgression is too, is too great, I'm, I'm too far from God, I, I, I keep circling back to the same sin, I keep, I keep having an anxious mind, an anxious heart, I just feel like, you know what, I think God's just given up on me. I don't even know. I think I'm not worth it. I'm not worthy. Listen, if that's you today, listen, 
especially if that's you, I, I want to pray with you personally. I want to pray with you personally. Why? Because I feel like God wants to heal something in you today. I feel like God wants to heal something in you personally today. And so if that's you, listen, I, I would love, if you would let me, I would love to pray with you personally. Our prayer team is going to come up and they can pray for, you know, everyone else. But if that's you, I, want, I would love to pray with you. Let's go ahead and close our time in prayer. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for um, just the gift of love, Lord. <laughs> and uh, we need it more than we think, God. God, we need your love more than we think, Lord. So, so Lord, would you um, just remind us, God, how you love us, Lord. In turn, Lord, remind us how um, we can love other people, Lord. It's not easy, Lord, but you've called us to, to love others, God. Lord, I'm praying specifically this morning, Lord, for that person, maybe they're watching online even, who feels like God's given up on them, like they're just a failure, they're a loser, they circle back to that same sin, God, and, and they just feel like giving up right now. They feel like life is not even worth living, Lord. I want to pray with that person. I pray specifically for that individual or those, those people this morning, God, who feel like perhaps you've given up on them. Lord, remind them that, that your love is patient. Remind them that your love is kind. Remind them that you have not given up on them. Remind them, God, that um, you keep no record of wrongs, Lord. And what you do instead is you continually draw us near to the Father's love. And you show us what that's like by reminding us of the great sacrifice made by Jesus himself. So God, would you do that? I can't do that in my own strength. God, I know that that's something that the only the Holy Spirit can do by his power. So I pray, God, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, you would draw people to you, Lord, and remind them of how deep, how wide, how far your love goes for them, God. And if they feel like you've given up, God, remind them of who you are. Remind them of what your word says about them this morning, God. Help us to live like people of the light. Help us to love others, God. Help us to be a light shining bright in our city. Help us to operate gifts of the Spirit in and through love. We pray all of this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's clap for Jesus this morning.